Hey, thanks for tuning into our podcast today. My name is Derek Puckett. I'm the lead pastor at Renewal Church of Chicago. If you want to know more information about us, you can head to our website at RenewalChicago.com. I pray today that this message is a blessing and an encouragement to your soul. Good morning. Good morning, Renewal fam. How are we doing this morning? Good to see you all. As Ramon said, I'm Pastor Steve, and I have the privilege of... uh, opening up the scriptures with us this morning. So if you would please uh, grab your Bible, whether it's your Bible app on your phone and you brought a Bible in with you this morning or you're unfamiliar with the Bible, just go on and Google Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5. We're going to read into our hearing together, Matthew chapter 5 and verse 8. And while you are turning there, we're kind of continuing on uh, this New Year's kind of giving us on-ramps to run uh, and, and live life in light of it being a new year and walking with God and what that means, what that looks like. Um, and so I'm going to be talking from Matthew 5 and verse 8 this morning. But as you're turning there, um, I do want to reiterate what Ramon shared about the Gospel Center Life class. Uh, it's an important, uh, important class, whether or not you've been a Christian for five minutes or you've been a, a Christian for 50 years. Um, it's the process of being able to recognize and acknowledge that we often drift away from uh, what it means to recognize and understand the grace that God has given us uh, and turn to other things. And so I want to encourage all of you, if, if that's something that you're interested in, sign up, show up, uh, and we'll have class together. When you got Matthew chapter 5 and verse 8, would you do me a favor and shout, I got it. If you're able, would you rest on your feet as we read the scripture together? reads this way. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. The very words of scripture. Amen. You may be seated. My wife will tell you that I have this unusual interest to show up to places that I don't belong. Uh, And And such was the case. I was on my way downtown. Uh, I was on Michigan Avenue, headed to Northwestern Hospital. I had just three years ago purchased Kristen's uh, engagement ring. And so I I thought to myself, man, I I ought to go ahead and look at some wedding bands and some some things that I might want to wear, Jay, uh, and figure out that for myself. And, uh, And so I'm walking down Michigan Avenue, and I see it. I see... I see that that beautiful turquoise sign, Tiffany's and Co. And I walk in, and of course they got like two big security guards, like right at at the front. I'm like, man, this is this is extreme. Like this is for real. And uh, I walk in, and and I I recognize the fact that they probably Jay don't see too many brothers up in Tiffany's, and so I prepare myself with the King's English. Um, and I walk over uh, to a woman named Sally, and Sally, uh, I said, Sally, I'm interested in the men's wedding bands. And so she says, sir, would you come right over here? Uh, and she, she shows me the uh, kind of the, uh, the settings of all the men's wedding bands, and I tell her, you know, I'm not really interested in the yellow gold, and I'm not really interested in rose gold, but I think that I'm interested in white gold, so can you show me all of the white gold wedding bands? 
and she said to me, sir, well, we don't carry any white gold. I said, what do you mean? It looks like all of these rings right here are white gold. She said, sir, we only carry platinum. This is Tiffany's and Co. She didn't say that last part, but she did say we only carry platinum. So I said, oh, of course, right, in the King's English. And, uh, and so uh, she explains to me uh, when I'm looking at these platinum wedding bands that there's a 950 on the inside of the wedding band. And I'm like, what, what exactly does that mean, Sally? And Sally says, well, you understand, Steve, that all metals are mixed with something, right? So all precious metals have some form of mixture. Um, and so when it came to platinum, there had to be an ascribed uh, certainty of the level of purity. Uh, and so in, in order to uh, take a test and show that uh, this is genuine platinum and it's not uh, overly mixed with nickel or it's not overly mixed with some other uh, metal, uh, there is a, a sort of test of purity. As a matter of fact, uh, Tiffany & Co., many, many years ago, uh, we actually created the measurement of purity for platinum. Uh, and so everywhere you go, if you see the 950 on a wedding band, uh, fellas... Ladies, it'll say 950, and that's the measure of purity that Tiffany's actually created. As we get ready to come to our passage this morning, essentially what Jesus is talking about when it comes to purity uh, is this idea of not being mixed. Uh, it's, it's this idea of, uh, of purity being a one-track mind. It is, it is to not be double-minded. It is to not uh, have a, a duplicity of motives in the things that you do and the way that you, that you live. That, that is uh, what he calls purity. It is to have a one-track mind, to not be mixed with other substances, to not have 75% platinum and 25% nickel or 56% platinum and uh, 25% some other material, it is, it is to, have, to have no mixture. And so as we get ready to come to our passage this morning, this is kind of the, the tracks that I want us to run on this morning. We're going to look first, and the words will come up on the screen, we're going to look first at the heart. There, we're going to look at what Jesus means by pure. Then we're going to look at what purity does not mean. And then last, we're going to look at growing in purity. I want to preach from the subject, purity requires everything. Purity requires everything. Would you bow your heads and pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you for your grace and kindness towards us. We thank you, uh, God, for the opportunity to gather together, to worship you, to sing to you, even to give back in response to your generosity towards us. And so uh, I pray that as we get ready to open up your word, that you would open up our eyes to see magnificent things that are in it. Uh, Holy Spirit, it is to that end that I am available to you. It's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. As we get ready to come to our passage, Matthew chapter 5 and verse 8 is kind of right in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, Jesus is preaching to his disciples uh, in a mountain, and he is describing eight blessings of those who are a part of the kingdom of God. Uh, as a matter of fact, if you were to look at the blessings there, there is some kind of parallelism that goes with each of them. 
And the first four have to do with how we relate to God. And the final four have to do with how we relate to other people. And when I first began to, to read the Beatitudes or the Sermon on the Mount, uh, it seemed as though Jesus was saying, these are the things that you have to do in order to be a part of the kingdom of God. These are the actions that you have to take. And yet when you uh, dive into the context and, and, and look around a little bit, what you realize is that Jesus isn't saying these are the things that you have to do. He's saying these are the characteristics that you are as a person who's a part of the kingdom of God. Uh, this is not what you do. This is who you are. As a matter of fact, if you were to look at the first four, what you would see as it relates to us and how we relate to God, it says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Uh, so it's the idea that before a holy and a perfect God, I am spiritually bankrupt and in need of God's grace. It is, uh, you have to have that recognition, that humility to know I don't have what it takes in order to relate to a holy and a perfect God. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. In the reality of what I don't have what it takes, that I'm spiritually bankrupt, it turns uh, to a perspective of, man, that's, I, I've got to mourn over my own brokenness and my own sin. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. God, I want you to make me right. I, I want to be in right standing and right relationship with you. The, those are the postures of the heart that it requires for one to experience God's grace and then in turn be a part of the kingdom of God. Those are all of things that had to happen to us in order to respond in faith in Christ. And then it goes on with how we relate to other people. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. And then blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. And so here's the relations of how it coordinates or directs us to other people. Not just how we relate to God, but how we relate to other people. But what exactly does it mean, does, does Jesus mean when he uses the word heart? So biblically, the heart is something that represents the totality of a person. It is, uh, it is the person's mind, will, and emotions. It is, uh, it is their central nervous system, if you will, the, the, the centerpiece of who you are. That's why D. Martin Lloyd-Jones, in commenting on this passage, says this, and the words will come up on the screen. It says, blessed are the pure in heart. Blessed are those who are pure, not merely on the surface, but in the center of their being and at the source of every activity. At the centerpiece of who they are, at the, in the central nervous system of who they are, they have a one-track mind. That, that's why uh, Jesus had that incredible beef with the religious leaders of his time. Uh, and he said to them in, in Matthew 23, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you are hypocrites. You are like whitewashed tombs which look beautiful on the outside, but on the inside are full of the bones of the dead and everything unclean. Now, I don't know what would be a harsher thing to say in the first century, but I think that was pretty doggone harsh. Whatever it was, that was like the, the Mike Tyson uppercut from 1991. And, uh, and so he's saying, essentially, you're preoccupied with how you show other people how you live and not preoccupied with the motivation of your heart and the motivation of your heart being aligned with the things that you do and how you live. 
That's why Jesus says later on in Matthew 23, he says, I tell you that if you look with a woman with lust in your heart, you've committed adultery with her in your heart. Because in your central nervous system, the motivation of who you are is not right. It is, it is, not, it is not pure. And so you can't just have all the actions be right on the outside, but there's some stuff on the inside that has to be right. Uh, you have heard that it was said, and that, that's what he says in Matthew 25, verse 5, uh, 27 through 28. Uh, he's saying disobedience to God doesn't just take place in my actions. It begins in the central nervous system of who you are. So Jesus says, blessed are the pure in the central nervous system of who they are, for they shall see God. Blessed are those uh, blessed are those. Uh, who are pure in heart, for they shall see God. So what does it mean to be pure? The New Testament is uh, originally written in a language called Greek, and the Greek word used here for pure is the word katharos, katharos. Uh, and it means essentially what I was talking about when it comes to platinum and Tiffany's. It means to not be mixed with any other substance. It carries with it a kind of uh, single-mindedness of devotion to God, uh, it is an undivided love for God as our highest good, a devotion that has only one concern, that is to please God. The intentions and motivations of the centerpiece of who you are are focused on devotion to God. Now, so if I have a one-track mind, I, 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 that, that's the centerpiece of, of, of who I am in, in the decisions that I make and uh, in the, the places that I live, and, uh, and it, it's in consideration with my, my heart doesn't focus on uh, what other people want from me, but my heart is focused on what God wants from me. My, my heart isn't focused on what my parents want from me uh, and what my aunts and uncles want from me or the expectations of me or what my coach wants from me, but I have a, a one-track focus which is glorifying and honoring God. That, that, is what it means, uh, that is what it means to have a pure heart. Now, parenthetically, uh, for those of us, and I might date myself a little bit, but some of us in the room, you grew up in the 90s, right? And, and some uh, other folks, Jay, that wasn't you, you grew up in the 80s, just to let you know. Uh, some of us uh, you, you're familiar, and I don't know what youth group was like in London, so this might not be for you. But hang in there with me. I promise I'm, I'm going to try to tie it together for everybody. Um, if you grew up in the 90s, you grew up in this era called the purity culture uh, or the, the purity narrative, right? Um, and, and maybe somebody, they, they had this, they, you had a purity ring that, that you wore that represented, I'm saving myself I'm saving myself for marriage, right? And I think on one end of the spectrum, it had good intentions in the sense that I want to honor God with my body, right? But on the other end of the spectrum, what happens is, is in turn, we tend to put God on the hook for our obedience to him. So what happens is, is that now you believe that because you have kept yourself uh, sexually pure, that now God is going to bless you. Uh, God is going to bless you with Ryan Gosling and uh, for, for my, 
season saints for Denzel with Denzel Washington, and God is going to bless you um, with Michael B. Jordan, and then and I know there's some children in, there's some children in the room, uh, and and there's this sense of uh, what's the, what's the guy from Crazy Rich Asians? How, Michael Redding is that his name? Anyways, the, those those are that's who I, I always thought Brad Pitt was a handsome, undeniably handsome man. I don't know if other people feel that. My wife says no, but I'm like, man, my man's kind of a good-looking guy. Anyways. But we, Halle Berry, guys, and there's a younger version of that. That was my dream. But anyways, God is going to bless you with, with, with this, and you're going to have the, the and I, there are children in the room, so you're going to have the, the greatest relational intimacy that you could ever have and, uh, and it's just going to be amazing. Um, and essentially what happens is people get on the other side of that, get married, and realize, oh, this is really hard. Oh, my, my spouse doesn't enjoy relational intimacy at the same level that, that I did, and God didn't bless me with the way that I thought he was going to bless me uh, with this. And, and, uh, and, and we seem to be on two different pages when it when it comes to this relational intimacy thing and all marriage is a lot harder than I thought it would be right and 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 when you have this perspective of keeping yourself keeping yourself keeping yourself for marriage then what what ends up happening is that it creates two different kind of Christians there's like the junior varsity Christians and the varsity Christians right and what what ends up happening is anybody who was sexually abused feels incredible shame. Anybody who makes it to their 30s and 40s and is still single feels incredible despair. What did I do wrong? Anybody who's same-sex attracted feels incredible despair and shame. And what ends up happening is that we look at whatever that term of sexual purity, whatever that idea is, and we believe that our righteousness is actually tied to that. And here's the thing. If your righteousness is tied to anything other than Jesus, you practice in a different faith. If you're, if you're belonging, your acceptance, your approval with God's word of righteousness, if you're, if you're standing in your virginity, you're practicing a different faith. And, and this is, I, I know, I, I, you know, some, somebody, you, you graduated from, uh, from Taylor University or, or Moody Bible Institute or, or you went to, I, I don't, Hope College or Wheaton College, what, whatever. You were part of crew in, in college ministry and, and there's some part of you that's like, I, but my virginity is my righteousness. My purity and what I, what I dial that in on, that is that is what makes me relate to God in a way that makes me acceptable. 
There's something on the inside of your soul that actually believes that. And I'm going to mess with you. That ain't Christianity. That has more to do with the myth of Sisyphus than it does with Jesus. Y'all ain't got to say amen. You can just look amen. Y'all ain't helping me preach this one. But if, if you dial that into this is what it means to be pure, then you actually have the potential to miss what Jesus means by pure altogether. And so that is what purity is not. But what exactly does Jesus mean by purity and growing in purity? It is the idea that I have a one-track mind. I have no mixed motive, no mixed intention. My sole desire is to please God, and that's the only thing that I'm focused on. And so how exactly do we grow in purity? How, how do we do that? The, the reality is, is that we all have this significant problem when it comes uh, to our hearts and what the Scripture articulates as it pertains to our hearts. Jeremiah 17.9 says that the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? Uh, and, and oftentimes, uh, because we're us, we would rather create a rule rather than to think. And what actually happens is, is that like actually highlights the fact that our hearts are deceitful above all things and desperately sick because you don't want to actually engage the centerpiece of who you are. You just want to have a checkbox for you to be able to say, I did that. So that, that is the, the duplicitousness that exists in our hearts uh, is, is that it's, it's broken, that, that we have mixed intentions, that, that fundamentally... Uh, that fundamentally, we don't have pure hearts. And, and just to, to all the stuff that, that I said earlier, that means that regardless of whether or not you're holding on, and this ain't all that I'm talking about, but regardless of whether or not you're holding on to your virginity or the, the, how many uh, months it's been since you looked at porn or how many days or, or, or whatever those things it is, it means that you're not pure. I'm not pure. We're all not pure. I don't care what your background is. I don't care what your youth pastor said. I don't care what anybody said. What the scripture says is all of us are standing in a place of impurity. We all have this duplicitousness that exists on the inside of us. Uh, and yet I'm so glad that God gives us the promise of Ezekiel 36, verse 26. It says, I will give you a new heart and put in you a new spirit, I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And, and that's good news because it, it means that, that in the process of me following Jesus, stumbling forward, that he can give us this one-track mind, that, that he can give us this singular focus, that this duplicitousness that seems to exist on the inside of our hearts can be redirected and become one thing. And yet, the reality of our situation as we live life is that we find ourselves with the Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 7. He says, for in my inner being, I delight in God's law. I love God. I want to do what God says. 
But I see another law at work within me, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within me. Anybody see another law at work within you? What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body of death that is subject to death? Thanks be to God who delivers uh, us through Jesus Christ our Lord. But Steve, you just said being pure means to have no mixture, to have no duplicitousness, to have a one-track mind. And, and, and yet even the Apostle Paul is talking about this duplicitousness, this uh, multiplicity of desires and motivations. And here's the good news of the gospel. Verse 25 is in Romans chapter 7. Who will deliver me from this body of death, this duplicitousness that I have that exists on the inside of me? Thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ our Lord. It is, it is through, through Jesus that, that, that I experience uh, God as I'm, I'm living my life and I, I'm addressing the central nervous system of who I am and the motivations of, of my heart that I know that he who began that good work in me shall bring it to completion. It is, uh, it is not something that we passively participate in, but it's something now with this new heart and this new spirit that God then gives us the opportunity to participate with the power that he has given us. Philippians 2 and verse 13 put it this way. It says, be energetic in your life of salvation, reverent and sensitive before God. That energy is God's energy an energy deep within you, God himself willing and working at what will give him the most pleasure. That's now at work within you. And as you lean into that by faith, now we begin to see change. James chapter 4 and verse 8 puts it this way. Come near to God and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. There's, there's the process as, as we draw near to God with that new spirit and that new heart. And as we lean into God by faith and we move forward as God now creates in us a pure heart. And so here I am at your neighborhood. This is one of the reasons why I wanted to talk about this for New Year's. It's because we can have all of these plans, all of these ideas of change, all of these goals that we want to accomplish, new visions for things in our future. And if we never deal with the central nervous system of who we are, We'll get to September and burn out. Because all I was ever trying to change was my actions and not my heart. Because I got all this stuff that I want to do for God and all this stuff that I want to accomplish in my life and all these things that I want to invite God into but then I, I, I get to, to July and I, I still have other people that I'm trying to please. I still have other, I, I still feel pulled in this direction and I still feel pulled in that direction. And I still, I still feel pulled by my mom and I still feel pulled by my boss and I still feel pulled by what society expects of me.
if, if I don't make up in my mind, I've, I've got this one track mind and, and it, it impacts every decision and every aspect of, of everything in my life. And, and, and the reality of, of our situation in the, in the midst of, of everyday life, and, and you hear me say, like, that's, that's a lot of uh, decisions and things that I have to check and be introspective of because of my motivations for a lot of different things. The reality is you're never going to get that perfect on this side of Jesus' return. But if you did, you would say, look what I've done. But in the process of stumbling forward, you would realize, man, I'm not perfect. Oh, but there's grace for that. There's mercy for that. His grace and his mercies are new every morning. You see, the whole while, whether whatever decision, whatever, uh, whatever uh, idea, whatever, whatever uh, plan that I have for my life and the things that I want to accomplish and the things that I want to do, all of those different things, as I'm on the journey of doing those things and I falter in the journey, I get to remind myself, oh, man of the grace of God because it's Jesus's perfect life. It's, it's Jesus's unmixed motives that I'm attached to. It, it, it's, it's Jesus's sole focus on pleasing the father that, that I'm attached to. And every time I fail, I actually get to look back and say, there's grace for that. That's incredible. And then it gives me the energy to try harder. That's the only place where true holiness and true purity can come from. It's actually stumbling forward and rehearsing grace to your soul and then getting back up again. And so Psalm 51 verse 10 says this. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. That's our prayer. That's the prayer when, when I find myself trying to please God, but then entering into the gossip at work. That, that's the prayer that, that, I, that I rehearse to God when I find myself in, in a circumstance that is just what all of society says is the right thing to do, but I seem to not know what to do. That's the prayer. So let me ask you, Is there anything that you do for others that has more to do with other people thinking well of you or thinking of you as a good person than just because you want to please God? Do you ever trust in your actions, the things that you do or the things that you don't do as the reason God is pleased with you? Do you regularly consider your motives and intentions with decisions that you make in life? Do you ever neglect to consider your motives and intentions when it comes to your evaluation of your own integrity? 
Yeah, me too. When it, when it comes to dating, when it, when it comes to uh, when it comes to drinking, when it comes to, to gossip, when it comes to decisions, when it comes uh, to my own vocational field, when it comes to getting promoted, when it comes uh, when it comes to being petty, some of y'all strolled into 2023 and you petty patty. When they go here, you go just a little bit lower, right, and stoke the fire. And here's the desire of God for you in 2023. Who you say you are lines up with how you live. When God says in the Ten Commandments, when he says, don't take my name in vain, it means... And I know I'm I'm messing with your grandma right now. I'm messing with your grandma... And you said uh, you said Jesus or something, and it didn't have to do with a prayer, and she she corrected you. I mean, that's kind of something that has to do with it. But it's the idea that I'm carrying Jesus' name. I've taken his name. And I tell other people, that's who I am. I'm a follower of Jesus. It means to not carry his name emptily. Don't take my name with you on your lips and don't honor me with your life. Don't take my name with you on your lips and don't live out a life that honors who I am. And so here's the prayer. Create in me a clean heart, O oh God, and renew in me a right spirit. Jesus says, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. When I was in high school, my, uh, one of my teammates and a friend of mine, his dad was the first base coach uh, of the Colorado Rockies. And so he was first base coach one year for the Boston Red Sox, and then he was first base coach for the Colorado Rockies. And, and every summer, we would get the opportunity to uh, go to a series. And so we'd have to put the plan together. We'd have to find somebody to drive us to Denver, or we'd have to find somebody to drive us to Detroit. Um, but then we could spend the whole series, however many games that we wanted to go to, we could go to them, right? And... When we would go, my friend's dad would say, now, y'all don't just try to go up there on your own, right? They don't know who you are. Um, and so we got to coordinate our schedules to where you guys can come with me when I go to the field. And so we'd all get in the, uh, the car together and we'd, we'd go down uh, to the field and uh, he'd go past security and they say, hey, Mr. Williams, how are you? Um, and then we'd roll into the coach's parking lot. Um, and the reason why we were able to do that was not because of who we are, but because of who we were with. And then we go down to uh, to the batting cages underneath the, the stadium 
And I'm sitting there and I'm watching Nomar Garcia Parra like take batting practice. And, and Big Poppy is, is there and Manny Ramirez is there. And just think like Cristiano Ronaldo, I don't know who, uh, Leo Messi is, is, in, is five feet away from you, right? Uh, uh, LeBron James is, is, is right there if, if you're not interested in baseball. And, and I'm like watching these guys play, uh, do batting practice and having conver- small talk conversations with them, not because of who I am, but because of who I was with. And then we'd be standing out on, on the field and I'd be playing catch uh, with my teammate and I'm, I'm talking to uh, Big Poppy, and then Pedro Martinez walks out. And Pedro Martinez is a, a Hall of Fame pitcher. And he starts talking to Big Poppy, who then starts talking to me. And then uh, Nomar Garza Parr comes around, and he starts talking to me. And, and the reason why I think that they felt comfortable to talk with me was because they knew that uh, he's not the media He's with one of the coaches. You see, I didn't get to do that because of who I was, but because of who I was with. And then we take pictures, sign autographs, and, and hang out and, uh, and spend time together shooting the breeze with all of these Hall of Fame baseball players, not because of who I was, but because of who I was with. Here's what God wants to teach you and me about purity. The reality of our situation and our circumstance is that we're all impure. We're all not right. And yet the beautiful news of the Christian gospel is that Jesus was is that Jesus always did what pleased the Father. It's that Jesus always had a one-track mind. It's that Jesus never had mixed motives. And guess what? It's because I'm with him. That now I can actually pursue a one-track mind, that I can actually pursue uh, not having mixed motives, that, that I can actually pursue pleasing the Father, even with my motivations and my intentions of my life. Not because of who I am, but because of who I'm with. Matthew 5 and 8, it finishes off, blessed, uh, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. I love, I love what uh, the scripture says in Exodus 33 about a guy named Moses. It says that he went up into a mountain and he asked God, God, I want to see your face. And God said, no, no man can see my face and live. And so he, he puts... Uh, Moses in, in the cleft of a rock, and he says, I'm going to walk past. Uh, and so he essentially shows Moses his backside. And the Bible says that when Moses came down from seeing just the backside of God, he was shining with the glory of God. In the New Testament, in 1 John, it says, we don't know what we shall be. But we know that when we see him, we shall be like him, and we shall behold him face to face. Not because of who we are, but because of who we are with.
I love what Randy Alcorn says about experiencing the presence of God. He says, to see God's face is to behold his beauty, which is the source of all lesser beauties. And you've heard me share this before, but every painting, every sunset, every beautiful voice, every uh, incredible meal that you experienced, every uh, just breathtaking landscape, every incredible vacation, every... Uh, every whatever is something that you said, that's awesome, that's incredible, that took my breath away. All of those things point back to the source of all beauties. And so salvation, this, uh, this idea of eternal life isn't something that we just wait to behold when we get to the future. But life with God, Jesus says, this is eternal life, that you should know the Father and the one who sent him. Eternal life is life with God. And on this journey of stumbling forward and God through his power and his strength and us leaning in by faith to have this one-track mind, eventually we'll see him face to face. And what began as a relationship that had intimacy now becomes a beholding of the greatest and most beautiful person and thing that exists in the universe. And it's in the journey of falling forward and stumbling and getting back up again, reminding ourselves that we're connected to, to Jesus's grace and not our performance and, 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 and saying, I got to want my, my, my objective for this year is, is not to please everybody, but it's to please God. The central nervous system of who I am is focused on pleasing God. And in the process, I become more and more pure. By God's grace, for our good, and for his glory. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your grace and for your kindness towards us. We thank you, God, that your love, it, it, it predates everything, that your affection towards us predates everything, that, that we love you because you first loved us. We, we, we thank you, God, that for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that he's the one who's perfect, and that in my clinging to him, in my pursuit of purity, in my pursuit of holiness, in my pursuit of having this one-track mind is the thing that continues to remind me that you love me, that you care, and to be the only true motivation for me to actually pursue what you call purity and what you call holiness. And so I pray that as we continue on beginning of 2023, God, would you help us deal with the central nervous system of who we are? Would you create in us a clean heart? Would you renew in us a right spirit with a heart that, man, I'm not doing this for anybody else. It's an audience of one. I'm doing this to please God. I pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. 
Thanks again for tuning into our podcast today. I pray that it was a blessing and an encouragement to your soul. I look to see you at one of our services at 9 or 11 a.m. on Sunday morning. Take care. God bless you.